You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gouchers. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson, and he's Ryan Mainville. Money. We're here again to wrap up another week of college football and look ahead to college football and look ahead to college basketball. It's going to be a packed show for you today. Brought to you by, as always, Cardinal Sports Center. We're in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you need to gear up for any of those things, uh, basketball season is upon us. Uh, Illinois doing business right now with a couple of former Red Raiders and a Red Raider brother. Um, otherwise, you can gear up for Texas Tech basketball there at Cardinal Sports Center, mycardinalsports.com, or in Lubbock, Texas, right outside the loop on Slide Road. Gear up, get your business done at Cardinal Sports Center. You'll thank us later. You can also get some Gauchos merch there. As always, Kyle, Money, how you guys doing? Fantastic. It's always better after a win, huh? Yes. We're already getting comments to not trust this Kyle character, so. We'll have to see about that. Money, how are you? No complaints. Living the dream. Living the dream! That's what I always say. Even in the dark times, huh? Uh, let's see. UCF. Football came to the Lubbock area. Uh, first things first, what did you guys think of that atrocious uh, possum mascot that was roaming the sidelines and overalls? Atrocious is your word, not mine. You liked it? I mean, it, it harkens back to the days of the Roof Raider. And yeah, I think you have to capitalize on the possum's 15 minutes. And it's it's probably over with now. Like that that can be the end of it. Um a, but yeah, I, did, I didn't hate it. From a minor league baseball team, the Arkansas Travelers. Saw that today. It was a scary. It has some big old teeth, man. Big old teeth. So you're down with the possum momentum. Like I said, I think last night is a good closing chapter for that. Uh, Ryan, conspiracy theory for you. They debuted the new horse last night. Or Saturday night. Yeah, last night. You, you, you into that? I like it. Give him some reps on the biggest stage. Senior night. No pressure. I like trial, it. Trial run. Trial run. Did we get a name for that horse last night? Or was it just... Because it wasn't Cody. I never saw a name for it. I just saw that it was a replacement horse. I missed all the pregame stuff. I, I took my toddler and so we were trying to get there as close to kickoff as possible so i missed senior night and if they said the horse's name i missed that too uh alan says he bought several items for his son at cardinals yesterday he asked for the gambling gauchos treatment and got it nice folks there they're always nice always nice at cardinals uh, all right let's get into the game uh broad opening thoughts on the game kyle or Ryan? 
I got really pissed off watching the first two drives um, after a huge chunk play. Zach Kittley pulling out the revolver and shooting us in the foot with tempo and making sure that after we cross midfield that it's, you know, second and 12 in a hurry. Rather than, I don't know, like making a substitution and bringing all the personnel you want to have for whatever the next play is. Um, I don't think that – I mean, this isn't a shot, but I don't think UCF did a ton to stop you. They did have the interception. Um, sure, they forced a couple of legitimate punts, but I also felt like you tempoed yourself into stalling out really promising drives at the beginning of that game. So that was annoying. I mean, the tempo has been annoying at different times for different reasons throughout the year, but I'm sitting up there. I'm like, you know, we're, we're gashing them. If you are just a little bit more deliberate about this and keep running the offense, I think we can keep getting chunk plays. Um, so that was annoying starting off. And then of course they kind of doing the opposite, like a fake field goal to set up a touchdown and, so it was like everything that could go wrong for Tech out of the gates sort of felt like it was, and vice versa. It was like, oh, of course they flip it to the kicker and he runs it 30 yards. Um, so when it was 14-0, I was a little bit annoyed just because I felt like it didn't have to be that way. I, mean, I don't think that score reflected how well we were moving the ball offensively. Um, thankfully, we got it cleaned up enough in time, but that was, at least out of the gates, that was kind of my main takeaway was just – if somebody can explain why tempo, I'll, I'll hear them out. And if it was one of those things, it was like, well, you know, it works sometimes. It didn't there. But, like, I'm racking my brain. I, I, it worked once against TCU when you caught them with 12 men. But besides that, I don't know if – I would love to have the time one day to – after a chunk play, like let's call it 10-plus yards, and you go tempo, how many average yards per play do you get in that context, in that sequence versus – like I said, getting the right personnel on the field and just running the offense. I, in my mind, I feel like we average like 0.2 yards per play when we go tempo in that spot. If that. And so I don't know why we keep doing it. Like, again, if somebody has an explanation or wants to show me some data, I'm all for it. But I, I don't know how you can watch that all season and be like, you know what's a good idea here? Even though it killed us last drive, let's go tempo real quick. And like, boom, second and 11. It's even more frustrating because it goes all the way back to Cliff. Like, you've been doing this tempo up the gut stuff after a chunk play for eight years now, and it hasn't worked, but we keep doing it across three coaches. Yeah. Like, if you want to go, I'm even fine with Prairie Dog. And, like, if you want to go tempo because you feel like you have a personnel mismatch and you don't want them to sub, like, go tempo so they have to keep that defense on the field. Or if they try to sub, just snap it and you know, take the five yards. Uh, but but we don't do that. We tempt ourselves into a bad play over and over and over and over. And like, there's no payoff. There's never been a payoff where it's like, okay, it it sucked the last six times, but the seventh time we do it, we're gonna gash them up the seam. Like it it just never comes to fruition that way. Is that your truck alarm going off? Let's see if it is. <laughs> sure was. Anyways, uh, Ryan, do you have any thoughts on the game? Opening opening drives or first half? Yeah, I mean, the start was really bad, obviously, just in terms of the scoreboard getting into a 14-0 hole. I mean, it really did feel like that game was one you could have and should have won, and obviously you ended up doing so. But to kind of lose control after that almost felt reminiscent of when 
Kansas kind of drove all the way down on the field on you uh, last week, and then you, they had nothing to show for it because you made the stop. Like Tech has a really promising drive, doesn't end at any points, obviously with the failed fourth down conversion, and then you know the other fourth down where you know they run her out about two yards short of the sticks on I think it was fourth and four, and they ran like a two yard in that just obviously got stopped short. It, it was really like a moment where it was like, okay, what's going to happen? Like there's going to be a shift in the next couple of possessions where either UCF just kind of runs away with this or tech is able to, you know, establish the run game, get in control, make smart plays offensively and get back into it. And I think ultimately they did that primarily, you know, a large part of that was Taj Brooks. I thought Baron Morton had a good game. Uh, obviously the interception was bad. I think he just missed his read there, kind of just threw it right into the the defender's hands. But I thought he did enough to to win you the game in conjunction with with Taj Brooks. I was a little surprised at how upset some of the fan base seemed to be with his performance. I thought he managed the game really well, um, you know, played within the system outside of that one interception. Um, but other than that, obviously, Taj Brooks just continues to kind of find another gear. I thought in terms of just like watching the game, it really felt like, you know, UCF might've been one of his best performances. I think it was in terms of total yardage, but I mean, just the strength, the agility, the patience on his runs, it kind of all came together and he, he was just dicing them. It was really impressive to watch. Three key moments slash plays in the game for me. Uh, first one is Taj Brooks' first touchdown to cut the lead to 14-7. to seven. Um, Just a really good run. And to find the hole and to run to run it in, a really, really good play there. Uh, I thought that changed the game. The second moment or series of moments was the end of the half when Gus Malzahn runs it up the middle and completely loses the clock at the end of the half. Also, great play by the defensive lineman laying on the ball after that play, slow playing it because you can to not rush and allow them to get a, a any kind of playoff. Uh, and then I skip all the way to the end of the game. Uh, and I have a, a little bit of an issue with Baron Morton in the second to last offensive drive because he pulls it and then he throws it on two straight plays there when you're rolling with Taj. It's like, hey, man, don't be a hero, Baron. Just chill out and run the ball. If it's open, if you need to pull it and it's wide open and you can run it like you did earlier in the half, I'm fine with that. But I thought there was a little bit of hero ball there on that second-to-last drive. Then you make the stop and get the ball back, and there it is. Uh, A perfect drive and a perfect closeout from Taj Brooks and Baron Morton, I thought, who didn't try to do too much on the final drive. And uh, I, I don't know why they called that final timeout, but they did, and you just iced it after that. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell on some of those, like if that's a designed quarterback runner, if, like you're saying, if it's if he's pulling it there. Um, yeah, I, I wish that we could have been a little bit more consistent in the second half, but you know, the fact is you moved the ball and scored when you needed to, so that was nice. And sort of a blessing in disguise, Taj only had six first-half carries, which it didn't feel as egregious as when you say that out loud and you're like, well, he should have more than that. But I remember thinking at halftime, I was like, okay, he can he can tote the rock 20 times this half if we need him to. And 
in a tie game at the time, I was like, if we're playing with a, a small lead, uh, that's going to be great to lean on him and worked out that way. Cause obviously it was heavy doses of Taj the last couple drives when you were, I think you had a five minute drive to get the field goal to go up 24, 17 and then burned, I think about three and a half um, in field goal range, by the way, I saw some, some cope on the timeline last night, believe it or not about the blocked extra point, not missed extra point, but blocked extra point, which by the way, it does count. If the other team blocks a field goal or an extra point and you don't score it, that counts. Those aren't automatic, but um, even had he not had his kick blocked, Texas Tech was in field goal range, and Gino, you know, he's putting it through. He made a 50-whatever-yarder earlier in the game. So we would have either won 27-24 if we didn't block it. Uh, we would have covered or win it like we did with Duda Banks, blocking the extra point and then just milking the clock. So do you want to hear since the Oregon game? what our first offensive drive out of the half has been for yes. Tarleton State onward? Yes. Okay. Punt, punt, turnover on downs. No, I'm sorry, punt. Three punts. Turnover on downs, turnover on downs, punt, 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 punt. We defer every game, which I like. I think that's the right move. And I think everybody can acknowledge Tim DeRuiter's way better in the second half. Like he, he sees, he learns from the first half's worth of data points and adjusts. Our offense apparently goes into the locker room. I don't know what we do, but we don't do anything on the first drive that makes you think, okay, our offensive staff saw what was going on. They're going to make the adjustments. We're going to script six or eight plays here and go put points on the board. That does not happen. And I, I don't know why I don't have a good explanation for it. Uh, but it's felt like in a lot of these games, and it, it didn't cost you against UCF ultimately, but it feels like in a lot of these, like it's a close game at halftime, you defer. It's like, okay, great, we get the ball coming out in the third quarter, and you just don't do anything with it. So that's been a frustrating aspect to follow all season where it feels like you could get back into a game, extend a lead, you know, break a tie. Instead, it's like, yeah, cool, you get the ball first, but then you punt it back with 13 and a half minutes left and, you know, kind of back to square one. In uh, Fuego Diego says the clock management blunder for UCF at the end of the half was a huge blessing in disguise. There was no disguise about it. It was just a huge blessing. Uh, just dumbassery from Gus Malzahn. And he has those nearly every game. Uh, you mentioned Kyle in Gaucho's After Dark sponsored by Barna Howard and Williams that Gus might uh, – be in the mix for the Arkansas job. Was that you that said that? Yeah, he's been tied there the last couple times that job has been open because he's a he's an Arkansas native. I think he kind of first burst onto the scene at Arkansas State. And so, you know, I don't know if hiring him off of a six and six year at UCF is going to be that attractive of an option for them, but I don't know what else they have out there. Um, he's a guy who's won in the SEC before. So, um, yeah, so something to maybe monitor. I don't know how serious it is, but his name kind of gets thrown around every time Arkansas comes open. And they haven't they haven't even fired Sam Pittman yet. But if they do, uh, that could be something to monitor. Sam Pittman, number three in the coacheshotseat.com poll. I'm just curious, who are one and two? Uh, Lincoln Riley and Tom Allen at Indiana. Yeah, I mean, Indiana, if you don't win there, they will 
give you the axe. You know, they're not going to put up with losing football there yeah. in Bloomington. Then you go uh, Dave Aranda at five, Dana Holgerson at seven. Those are the uh, Big Twelve, hmm. and then Matt Rule at Nebraska. But I don't, I don't know why that's even the top ten. Year one, they're not going to fire him. Right. I've not looked at CoachesHotSeat.com in about six years, three years. I guess I was watching during the Matt Wells era, but it's uh, it's funny there. Anyways, uh, any other thoughts on the UCF game before we kind of uh, move on? I know we're kind of speed running this thing this week. Um, I still really like Koy Aiken. Um, I think he's emerged into arguably your most dependable receiver down the stretch here. He's really good at that back shoulder. We've converted, I feel like, a handful of third and five kind of slants to him for a first down. So his emergence is a welcome sight. Um, What else here? I think defensively, you saw a bit of the youth movement continue. Uh, Dadrian Taylor-Demerson was ruled out, I think, in the second quarter. I think they called it groin tightness after the game. So you saw some Chapman Lewis. You saw a lot of Brendan Jordan because Tyler Owens was out. Duda Banks got a lot of run after Jalen Hutchings went out. I know people have their worries about next year when you lose all these seniors and super seniors. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't worry, but um, it, it's nice to catch a glimpse of some of that young talent and to see some of that flash, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So that was – Something I was just kind of thinking about in the sands. I was like, you know what? We might be we might be in all right hands next year with some of these guys. Like, I mean, on one hand, there's no replacing a guy like Jalen Hutchings, but on the other, dude, our banks looked really disruptive, and you're like, okay, yeah, he can play too. I have a philosophical question for you. Okay. Uh, we have not seen any offensive youth. We've seen a bunch of defensive youth. And then we always talk about how Joey has uh, recruited that Baylor roster. Well, they have gone through an offensive lull with the youth movement as well as as guys get older. Uh, do you have any worry about this staff recruiting defense versus offense and how they might be more equipped to to recruit defensively? I know you have Micah Hudson coming, but just bear with me here. That just seems to be a question that's lingering. No. Okay. <laughs> Zero. No. I mean, I don't I mean, either. I just that's a question that's been out there. I mean, they have their quarterback, Will Hammond. They have Micah Hudson in terms of juice at the outside receiver spot. I think where I, where I maybe not convinced is maybe like tight end recruiting. Um, Trey Jackson had a big year. We haven't seen like any of the running backs or slot receivers yet. Allegedly, you know, a lot of these guys are recruiting have insane speed. So I'd like to see that on the field. But offensive line, like I've no, I've no doubt there either. And so um, I'm willing to roll the dice at some of the positions that are a little bit less clear to me. If you go, okay, Will Hammond throwing it to Micah Hudson behind this offensive line, feels like they can probably piece the rest of that together. In terms of like young younger guys, I mean, I think obviously it's still gonna be Morton and everything next year, but um, no, I don't have any concerns about recruiting. All right, final thoughts on uh, UCF there, Money? I thought Jacob Rodriguez had a really, really good game just everywhere on the field. And, I mean, just like looking at the linebacker situation, it's kind of impressive that it's 
flown under the radar as much as it has this season. I mean, he's a good linebacker. Don't get me wrong, but past couple of years, right? You've had these like Jordan Brooks, Dakota Allen, all of these really good middle linebackers, Colin Schooler, just guys that could play rep after rep after rep and just be everywhere at all times on the field. And I mean, even in a year where you don't have a name like that, you, you've got a guy like Jacob Rodriguez who's playing really, really good football, even when he's probably not 100%. And I thought Ben Roberts had a good game alongside him, and he's really emerged into an impressive linebacker. There were a couple of games early in the season where he just looked kind of lost in coverage, but he seems much more comfortable stopping the run near the line of scrimmage especially. And so I think linebacker has been an impressive thing to monitor the past couple of weeks as Rodriguez has gotten back healthy and – Obviously, Roberts has settled into the defense a little bit more. But other than that, you know, Eakin's really good. He's been, I think, a really big yards after catch guy. I think he's got some of that potential in him. I'd like to see them try and utilize that more on things other than slants and smoke screens. But I think, you know, you're going into the Texas game with some positives on both sides of the football. And now it's just being able to capitalize on those things for, for 60 minutes. Yeah, Jordan Brown had a drive too, and I say a drive because mm-hmm. he didn't do anything outside of that drive. But um, he could be a difference maker, I think. And does he have another year? How, how old is Jordan Brown? I feel like he does. So maybe he'll finally uh, emerge from Miles Price's shadow next year after Miles Price is gone. Yeah, and Dre McCray, not a young guy per se. I think he's in his third year of college ball. I think it's probably fair to group some of those FCS transfers in the same way as JUCO players where year one, you maybe don't expect a lot just based on the adjustment. And then year two is kind of when they blossom. He certainly flashed on some kick returns this year. And over the last three games has also flashed at wide receiver. Um, He had the really long touchdown grab against TCU and then had another one with uh, Morton on the move against UCF. And so he's a guy, I think, he was brought in, you know, partly because of his speed and everything, but I think it's starting to click with him and the production is starting to follow. So I think he's probably solidified as one of your starting inside receivers next year, um, unless they move him around for some reason. That's good to see. And then I'll echo Mainville on the linebacker piece. Weird deal at that position this year. Obviously, in Laramie, Jacob Rodriguez gets hurt, and Tyreek Matthews gets the bulk of the run after – uh, Rodriguez goes down. Ben Roberts only played six snaps in that game, and I think they were all on special teams. And then six days later, Ben Roberts is starting against Oregon as a redshirt freshman. It was like, okay, well, why wasn't he playing in Laramie? I still don't know the answer to that. Uh, but he's got 87 tackles this year, the most I can find from a freshman. And Roberts is a redshirt freshman. The guy I'm about to name is a true freshman. But the most I can find from either a redshirt or a true freshman in Texas Tech history the last 20 years is 85 from Jordan Brooks in 2016. And we still got a game, uh, two games to play now that we're bowl eligible. I mean, 100 tackles is squarely on the table for Ben Roberts. This is a guy who was a converted safety coming out of high school. He was in that Wells to McGuire transition class, um, one power five offer. And so pretty incredible what he's done. And I'm sure there are elements of his game that he can improve on, like Mainville said, um, especially in coverage. But 87 tackles for a freshman who not only wasn't supposed to be there preseason, but game one when 
uh, stuff kind of hit the fan. He wasn't even called on in that moment. And then they just kind of threw him out there. And uh, to grab 87 tackles, I think it's a pretty big deal. And Josiah Pierre, after Rodriguez came back, we haven't seen any of Josiah Pierre at inside linebacker hardly. And I wasn't sure what that rotation would look like. I've been kind of monitoring Roberts' stats all year to see if he would break some of these freshman records. Um, I was like, well, you know, if there's, the three of them are splitting it, but it hasn't really been a split. Like it's been Rodriguez and Roberts. And then every now and then Pierre might spell one or the other. And uh, Pierre was a guy that they specifically moved to inside linebacker this off season. I think obviously envisioning him as one of the two starters. So I think that speaks to how much the two younger inside linebackers have grown this year. Absolutely. And that is a good segue to the Texas game. But first, Kyle, you know what else is a good segue? This ad read. This ad read talking about bringing you a barbecue. What can you tell us about it? I can tell you that hopefully you already put in your Thanksgiving order if you want one. I'm not saying they're out, so check them out at rahinobbq.com if you still want one. But as we know, it does the food does go kind of fast at Rahino Barbecue. A 2021 Texas monthly top 50 barbecue joint in the entire state of Texas. Give them a follow on social at rahinobbq. They've got brisket, they've got Thanksgiving hams, Thanksgiving turkeys, all their sides, five days a week out in Olton, or you can catch their mobile food truck going all across West Texas, and we appreciate their support of the Gambling Gauchos. Are we talking about uh, Josh, Josh, Jacob Rodriguez right there? Uh, May will not play uh, in Austin. What are your thoughts on that? And... um. I guess just some broad thoughts on Austin coming up as the final game against the Longhorns for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think if if Jacob Rodriguez, if, if it's mostly his choice and he says, I want to maintain another year of eligibility, then I have to respect that. I know why fans want to see him because we obviously want to maximize our odds of winning this game. But to ask a young man to say, hey, will you play one more game for us this year and give up? 12 or 13 or however many um, during your final year of eligibility. That's kind of a, a big ask of somebody that, you know, you don't get to play football forever. So you want to play as many of those as possible. So that's kind of my thought on that is I, I respect his decision. I'm assuming that was mostly his decision, but you know, if he has a change of heart and the coaches are okay with it, maybe, maybe we see him. I don't know. Um, not trying to stir the pot there. I just, I legitimately don't know. Maybe the calculus changes after you get to six and five and, you know, all that's kind of in the rearview mirror. Uh, Texas is going to be tough to beat in Austin. I uh, Have either of you heard anything about Xavier Worthy? Uh, not beyond him talking trash to Iowa State after the game. Okay. I, yeah, I didn't see that. Oh, you missed well, all that? I, oh, I saw like some linemen talking trash. Oh, yeah. It was the whole team, man. Well, you know, that, that's a big deal for a program like Texas. I think that's their, what, second win over Iowa State in the last five or six years, something like that. So, yeah. you know, it was their Super Bowl. Um, well, they got they, another one coming up. Yeah. Dude, okay, let's talk about that. Did you see, like, the UT Barstool account? Oh, yeah. He was like, this week we'll be living up. It's like, dude, you're a Twitter account. Like, can you yeah. calm down? Nobody cares. Like, like let's say Texas wins by 50. It, you're still just a Twitter account. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the one area, so Texas looks really good. They really good third down defense. Like it's hard to stay on the field against them. Uh, really, really good against the run. 
I think they only have – I think they've maybe only given up more than 3.3 yards per carry to like one primary running back in the last like seven games or something like that. So very stout run defense, which worries you because that's how you sort of get everything going. And assuming Morton is still kind of dealing with a lingering shoulder injury, even if you're like resting your hopes on Baron Morton playing a career game uh, on the road against a top 10 team, that just seems like a precarious spot to be in. Maybe Taj can break the mold. I mean, he does lead the country in broken tackles and everything, but I, th- I think what Texas does well counters what you're able to do well. Um, but where I think you maybe have an opening, this was way earlier in the year, maybe three games in, but Texas was like, I don't want to overstate it. They, they might've been dead last in, um, success rate, offensive success rate, or if they weren't, they were like 119th or something. And they were still winning games. Like that was after the Alabama game, but they were so dependent on these explosive plays. And you see, you see some of that still like their third down offense is really, really bad. I think it's a hundred something nationally. Um, but so where I'm going with this is if Xavier Worthy can't play their number one running back, Jonathan Brooks already ruled out for the season. If their number one running back and number one receiver can't go, I think Quinn Ewers looks, if not hundred percent close enough that like that probably doesn't make a difference, but I don't know. Like I'm wondering if maybe you're catching them at an okay time injury wise, if their offense is missing the juice that it is kind of dependent on. I don't want to say dependent because they, I mean, they're, they're 10 and one. So they, um, you know, they've won a bunch of ball games different ways, but I don't know. Like I could see maybe without worthy and without Brooks, maybe they struggle a little bit. Um, but I I'm more worried about us on the offensive side of the ball. If we can't run it and we're tempoing into three and outs because Texas is really good at getting off the field on third down. That just looks like a recipe for a disaster. So I'm, I'm hoping we don't do that. Yeah, I think an underrated point of this game may come down to how do you scheme outside of the run, which is going to be kind of scary to watch play out. But, I mean, the reality is you you just can't run it into the teeth of this Texas defensive front. I think they're allowing like 2.8 yards per carry this year. It's just not going to happen. I mean, Taj Brooks is obviously phenomenal, but against, you know, this defensive line, I think with questions still looming on your offensive line and, you know, how well you can really prepare yourself against a stacked box. I, I think you're going to have to get creative offensively outside of the run. You're going to have to figure out some past concepts. I know we talked about the mesh a few weeks back. It's just going to have to be something different, a wrinkle um, as some coach speak, but like, you're just going to have to do something different, something that's not already out on you because handing the ball off to Taj on first down against the teeth of this defense doing it again on second down and then running some sort of quick in route or smoke screen on third down. It, it's just, that's not how you're going to win the game here. You're going to have to, you know, get a big play at least at some point down the field in the passing game, somebody's going to have to create some separation when route running. And so I think it's, it's really going to come down to how it plays outside of the margins with the run game. How do you capitalize on everything else offensively can you get some momentum going in the passing game outside of just throwing it outside the numbers? Uh, going back to Xavier Worthy talking trash, he also retweeted the Brett Yormark comments from the luncheon that he uh, he had at Texas Tech. So uh, Texas is already 
pulling a Baker Mayfield. Is that what we can call it? Finding a, a microaggressions and, and trying to prepare themselves for this game. Apparently your mark had like applied for a press pass or something to the game today. Saw that, which a lot of Texas fans seem to be outraged about. Like everyone in the comments telling Texas to deny it and not let them into the game. So maybe that reignited some of the conversation there. That would be hilarious to not allow the the outgoing commissioner in. I think Texas fans were obviously lying the, the past several years when they were like, oh, this isn't a rivalry. Like we don't even care. I think there's like a grain of truth to that in that they don't view tech the same way they view like A&M and OU. Like I'll, I'll grant them that, but the mask is completely off at this point. Like you have hardcore, like UT fan page accounts as like, as soon as games are going final on Saturday night, like not even, you know, abiding by the 24 hour rule and like celebrating the Iowa state win. It was me like Texas tech, you are doomed on Friday. Like we will show no mercy. It was like, okay guys. I mean, I mean, great, but, like, any pretense of, well, this isn't a rivalry, we don't actually care about Tech, is like, that is so far out the window, it's not even funny. Like, I mean, it it seriously is, I don't know, like, over and above even how they talk about A&M sometimes, at least recently because they haven't been playing. But, like, I mean, this is like Kansas, Kansas State-level online vitriol. And so, I I don't know, maybe we can hang our hat on that no matter what happens on Friday that – at least they care now, and they've been waiting since they hung 70 two years ago against Matt Wells because, like, they didn't really have noise or any room to talk during basketball. I guess they swept you in baseball, but I, I would guess most T-shirt football fans weren't even aware of that. So they, And McGuire hurt their feelings when he said everything runs through Lubbock. Oh, my God. They are still on about that. Which, unless, unless a really crazy tiebreaker scenario, which I am not even going to – Claim I fully understand, but unless Kansas State somehow sneaks their way in next weekend, it will be true that in McGuire's first two seasons as head coach at Texas Tech, nobody advanced to the Big 12 championship game by winning in Lubbock or with a win in Lubbock earlier that season. So I, I'm ready to double, triple down and say everything runs through Lubbock. Like nobody's won the Big 12 by winning here first, unless Kansas State does it. Uh, one guy Texas Tech has to look out for is Adonai Mitchell. He's been sneaky under the radar this. He is a Georgia transfer and is a part of the two national championship squads. Uh, I have been saying in every group chat available that he's going to have a huge game against Texas Tech. Every time he catches a long touchdown, I just have nightmares of him running past C.J. Baskerville or whoever else in the secondary catching a 45-yard touchdown pass. Well, if we don't have Rabbit out there too, like, I mean, I think Chapman Lewis flashed a little bit yesterday, but you're talking fifth-year senior who's played, you know, 50 college football games versus a true freshman um, on the road in that spot. So that's going to make a big difference. But, yeah, you, Rob, you called it the the Randy Moss Thanksgiving stat line that you were worried. <laughs> you know, three catches, 187 yards, three touchdowns. I hope not, but uh, I know you're certainly not um, underrating him or overlooking him. I just feel like it's going to be a big play game and they are more capable of big plays. Um, but if you can run the ball, if you can establish that, not many people have against Texas, it's going to be a good game. Uh, I just don't know that you can. Yeah, they have Tom, another. Go ahead. They have another big weapon on offense, Jatavian Sanders. I think he's 
surefire early round NFL tight end. So even without Xavier Worthy, I mean, I think he's obviously not as explosive down the field as Worthy is, but extremely reliable, talented target. So, yeah, they're they're good in a lot of places on offense for sure. Uh, Thomas says, we've been critical of going for it on fourth down. Kyle, insert meme, who's we? Uh, but it's helped us win games and with more possessions. Do you think we need to take more points this – take points more often to keep this game close? Do you want to abandon the uh, fourth down conversions or attempts in the Texas game? Yes and no. Um, I was going to ask you all, do you think Texas Tech is more likely to pull off the upset in a game where they run 60 offensive plays in Austin or in a game where they run 80 offensive plays in Austin? 60. I'll take 80. I I think it's 60. I think like – I think you've got to find a way to – score four or five times and try not to like do a whole lot more than that in terms of like, I don't think you're going to score six or seven times. And so if you have just possession and possession after that, I think it's a lot of punts and turnovers and just empty possession. So what I was going to say was like, when you do have the ball, I think it's really imperative to keep it. And, you know, once you're in that, especially kind of midfield area, you want to convert on fourth down. So I don't think you adjust the strategy Maybe you get a little more conservative in terms of taking field goals. Um, but yeah, I think you, I think you need to find you know at least twenty seven, twenty eight points to give yourself a shot. And I think you do that by having longer, slower, more efficient possessions than like when you beat them in Lubbock last year. I think you ran ninety nine, maybe even a hundred offensive plays, and. I don't know if you can duplicate that this year and stay with them. I think the shorter the game, the better. Um, and I could be wrong, but that's why I don't want to – like you could get eight possessions in the first half if you tempo yourself into eight three and outs and possess the ball for ten minutes, but like that's not going to help you win. When I chose 60, I was thinking I want them to have 60 plays as well. It's like I want to give them 60 opportunities to have a big play. Yeah, there's, there's that too. Like the more you extend the game, the more opportunities you give. Like you want to increase variance as a 14 point underdog. Um, Cause if, if both teams ran a thousand plays, like you can be ahead after the first 50 or a hundred, but eventually they're going to, they're the better team. So they're going to catch up and overtake you. That That's kind of where I'm going with that. It's like kind of maybe if you can get a lead, do it and then stall and run off the clock is kind of, I know that's a bit of a weak mentality, but um, I don't think, maximizing the total number of possessions both teams have is like a great recipe for success for you in this kind of game. It's a good point. And I think part of my initial thinking on 80 was because it likely means you controlled the football, right? No turnovers. And then you establish the run. Like if Taj gets 30 carries, it's a really good sign for you. I just don't know if that's going to happen in this game. It's not going to be a cut and dry 30 like we've seen against Kansas and UCF. Like, it's going to have to be something different than inside zone. Like you're going to be trying to set some sort of edge and get away from those big guys in the middle. But even then I don't, I don't know if you'll be able to give him the same amount of volume that you have. So maybe 60 is a better pick there. And I also, I try to work backwards from that standpoint. It's like, okay, let's say we max out Tosh and gets 30 carries. If we're playing 80 downs, like what are the other 50? Like, are we going to the air 50 times? Um, with a guy who has a, a sprained shoulder, I mean, that's probably not going to go well for us. 
Um, so that's where I'm like, well, okay, if Taj gets 25 and Morton puts it in the air 35 times and, you know, we run it a little bit with Valdez or, you know, whoever, to me, that's like, I can envision a world where that's a pretty efficient game. Probably the better way to ask the question would have been like, you know, 10 possessions versus 14 possessions, which one, you know, makes it more likely Texas Tech wins. I think we're all kind of philosophically in agreement there. It's just kind of a matter of exactly how the game unfolds. Because, yeah, you could have a – if you go for it on fourth down twice to Thomas's question in the same drive and you, you know, have a 12-play, eight-minute drive, you know, you only average five yards per play, and but you score. Like, I mean, that's – you'll take that for sure. Yes, you would. All right, you want to make some picks and then give some final thoughts and a score prediction for Texas? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, TCU, Oklahoma. This game started at six and a half. It's already to 11 and a half. Uh, TCU is the underdog on the road in Norman. We heard anything on Dylan Gabriel? Not that he'll uh, – this is the problem with doing this on Sunday. We have no idea about the injuries or anything. Venables, after the game, said it was it was not a big deal, but who knows if that means he'll play this weekend. What was the spread again? 11 and a half. I'll still pick OU to cover. Josh Hoover looked pretty good Saturday. Frogs. Yeah, OU burnt me really bad last week, so I'll take the Frogs as well. Uh, Houston, UCF. UCF minus 13 and a half. That's one of those lines that's so fishy. I'm inclined to just go with it. Uh, I don't. I don't trust Dana in a game with like nothing to play for at all, especially on the road. And I know UCF's offense is good, so yeah, sure, I'll take the Knights and lay the thirteen and a half. You almost sold me there, but I'll take Dogovin to show up one more time, baby. I'll take Houston. <laughs> it makes no sense. Uh, BYU Oklahoma State 17 and a half BYU on the road they're much better at home man interesting dynamic in this one one team is like basically I think in a win and in unless Texas slips up the other one fighting for bowl eligibility BYU did look better with the quarterback change 17 is a lot do we trust Alan Bowman to cover 17 in like a do or die game, you might. I can't say I do. Give me the give me the Cougars. I don't either. Give me the. Also, do I trust the Cougars' offense to score more than ten points? Not really. I know they did it. Yeah, but so I, I, I could be way off base here. Yeah, I don't know. I'll take the under at fifty six and a half. BYU to cover. Uh, does Dana get fired after losing to UCF in the comment section? I'm going to say no. I don't think Dana gets fired. Yeah, I think it's close to even odds. I think they'll be a little bit more patient because it's year one in the Big 12, but I think he's on thin ice. And their recruiting class, I haven't looked at it lately. No way bueno. uh, Cougars fans assured me it's just June. It doesn't matter that we're behind Austin P in recruiting. 
Oh, now it's Thanksgiving. Oh, I'll look it up while you're reading the next one. I looked it up last night. They're still 16th in the Big 12. I didn't look at the national rank. Yeah, nothing to worry about <laughs> if you're the least talented team in the conference. I mean, that's a yeah. It's November, okay? The signing day is until December. It's uh, I, that was on off on three. So, uh, West Virginia Baylor, West Virginia on the road minus six and a half. Baylor does not win in Waco. Period. Give me the give me the ears. Mountaineers to cover hammer. Mountaineers money line, easily. Yeah, I'm hammering it as well. Double digits. Dana Holgerson's Houston Cougars are this close to being in a double digits ranked class nationally. They're 101st right now, but they can get up to 99th before signing day. Brutal. How how is that possible? That that's their whole. Like appeal to like, hey, all these recruits right in our backyard. This is Houston. How do you have a hundred first? Like Dana loves the the transfer portal. Always has. I could go recruit the hundred first class in Houston. Like, what in the world, man? I'm I'm trying to see who they're near. So like, Western Michigan is ninety eighth. Where's the next Power Five team? Eastern Michigan is 106. So they're sandwiched right in between Western Michigan and Eastern Michigan. So they're basically Michigan. Um, let's see. Yeah, not a Power 5 team below them. Oh, Sonny Cumbie, 120th. Jeff Trailer, 119th. He's gone, right? Like he's- Oh, yeah. he's. Did, okay. did you hear his press conference answer? Yeah. Like, hey, did you, did you interview at A&M? And he's like, it's a damn shame you guys aren't caring about these players. Like, okay, Jeff. So the next Power 5 team, I feel like, has a significant asterisk next to it. Northwestern is 97th because they don't, I don't okay. think, have a permanent head coach. Right. Besides them, another asterisk, SMU, hailing from the Atlantic Coast Conference, obviously. They're 88th. And then, this is a surprise, Kansas State is 80th. I guess they're about to go Portland. They've only got 10 commits. Of course, that's then, all space and everything as well. They might not have the space for it. Maybe. Uh, Mel Tucker, Michigan State, 78th. So, like, all the ones down here have a asterisk. Virginia, 72nd. Dion yeah, is 70th, but he's going to go portaling. Yeah. Kyle Whittingham, 67th. He's about to retire, probably. He doesn't care anymore. And you got, like, BYU, Cal, Baylor. Yikes. That, so that's the state of the Houston Cougars recruiting right now, if anyone was curious. And where's Tech, number one in the Big 12? Oh, shoot, I just exited out of it. Yeah, I think they're like 20-something nationally. And Who are you reading yeah. from, Bibles? I was at 24-7. 24-7. Uh, Kansas, Cincinnati, Kansas minus six on the road with Ballard. Or maybe Bean. I think I'll take the Jayhawks. Jayhawks, easily. Jayhawks, not as easy, but Jayhawks. Uh, and then I'll I'll close this out first with Iowa State plus 11.5 against Kansas State and give me the Cyclones to get to 7-5 and five and uh, cover, but I think Kansas State wins. I 
I think I trust Kansas State here. In Manhattan. Yep. Pass. <laughs> All right, then you have to answer corn or wheat for Farmageddon if you won't pick a side. Corn. Corn makes whiskey. It was fun uh, to see UCF fans on Twitter last night not know what the tortilla deal was. Just one of the symptoms of conference realignment. They're like, why are they throwing tortillas? I was like, bless your heart. Like, This must be your first Texas Tech game to watch ever. Are there more tortillas this year than, than in the past? I feel like the crowd saves them for longer. Like Everybody used to yeah. blow their load on the first one. But now, like third quarter, they're still throwing tortillas. Yeah. So they're either bringing more or they're like spacing it out a little bit better because it, it's more persistent throughout the game than it used to be, in my opinion. Uh, and I feel like the the West side is getting more involved uh, in it. The home side. Y'all kind of made a face when I said blow your load. We did. Was that a shotgun term or? No, you could say it. that's like shoot. That's like shooting your wad. That's blowing that's your load. Shotgun. Yeah, shoot your wad. That's your shotgun. Yeah. yeah. My buddy has some land, and he just went and built, like, a shotgun course and then an axe throwing range and then put black lights on it, and he does cosmic <laughs> skeet out of his backyard. <laughs> Pretty awesome. I would love to have that much time on my hands sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rob, one of my favorite moments back when you were on the radio, I texted and you said nut cutting time. Yeah. And I texted and I was like, can Rob say that on the on the radio? And apparently you can because you did. Just did nut cutting time. That might be the only time I've ever used that phrase. <laughs> uh, all right. Minus 14, Texas at home. Give me a final score and a little bit of thoughts on the prediction. Ryan, do you want to go first? Certainly. Uh, I mean, again, I, I'll echo kind of what I said earlier. I really do think this game comes down to what you do outside of the run game. I Obviously, if you can't run the ball, you're not going to have a chance. You, you've got to be able to establish at least some sort of run game with Taj Brooks, whether that's setting the edge or at least establishing some holes on the, on the inside of the line. But do I trust the offensive adjustments to be made outside of the run game for schemes to be made downfield for some route concepts to be designed for more space, more yards after catch other than screen plays. I, I don't think so, but there's no way that I'm picking Texas to win in, in the last game in the foreseeable future. So I'm going to go tech 28, 24. I think for Tech to win, Tim DeRuiter needs to be who he's always been and you know keep Texas at a manageable score. I actually do trust him to do that, I, even if it starts ugly. Um, so, like, I'll say this. I just kind of railed on Kitley for our first drive out of the halftime break. Our first drive defensively, going back to last season, has not been pretty. Like, Texas scored in three plays. Oklahoma State scored in three plays. Kansas State scored in three plays. You, know, you need to clean that up. Houston gassed you this year. Um, UCF did. So I, I feel like we always kind of start down 7-0 and then go from there. Um, 
But overall, I trust DeRuiter. I think Kitley, to Ryan's point, needs to call a really good game. I think he needs to be two steps ahead at all times. Like, they know you're going to try to feed Taj, and they know you're going to try to add wrinkles to that. But, like, when they think you're about to run a wheel route to the tight end on a play-action pass, you need to run a wheel route that then breaks inside for a post route, you know, that kind of thing. Do I trust Zach Kitley to do that with a quarterback who still has a slightly sprained shoulder against maybe the best run defense in the country? You bet your ass I do. Give me Texas Tech 38, Tech – or Texas at 13. So give me Tech by 25. Send those bumps packing. I feel like you're not being truthful to yourself, but – uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Texas to win uh, by less than ten. I think it'll be a close game, but I think they will finish out strong, just like the Kansas State game. I think they just kind of survive. We've said they've looked beatable all year, uh, but nobody's beaten them except for one team, uh, and that was kind of a freak game in my opinion. So I will say, going to the Matrix. The score matrix looks an awful lot like what Ryan said, 28-24. Is that what you said? Uh, I think Texas Tech scores 23 according to the matrix, and I'm going to give Texas a bump, uh, one big play. I'm going to say 31-23. Texas. I think, we, I think we need a really big defensive or special teams play. This will be one of my – Big season takeaways, no matter what happens against Texas and then the bowl game, is the turnover margin absolutely needs to improve next year um, by like 10 or 12 total turnovers throughout the course of the season. And I want to look at it again without the – I'm not trying to pick on it, but without the six Jake Strong quarters because that those were those were a lot of turnovers. Maybe it's not as bad without when you take those out, but I think we need a big play like that. Uh, those are hard to get on the road. Um. I'm also looking forward to if if Texas pulls off the upset and they beat Tech on Friday. Um, I'm going to cross search every Texas fan that comes into our mentions unprovoked, and it will be unprovoked because we're not going to say anything to any Texas fans all week. Going to go search their tweet history for how many times they've used the term rent free or Super Bowl before sliding in our DMs or mentions unprovoked. Not actually going to waste time doing that on the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, but it would be a fun little experiment. And they started on Saturday night. They were like, buckle up, it's go time. And I was like, yeah, it's you know, six days away from a non-rivalry, and you're this pumped up about it. So, And we're not, we're this Twitter account, Gambling Gauchos, is not living rent-free in your head since last September, obviously, because you thought of us. We don't follow each other. Yeah. So that that's a fun dynamic that will play out this week. Obviously, Texas, uh, number one in red zone defense, by the way. Yeah, they haven't played Tosh Brooks yet, though. Uh, one thing before we get to basketball, did you know Texas A&M improved to 17-0 against in-state schools since 2012? Hashtag Giggum. They tweeted out that this afternoon. Here are the 17 in-state schools they played. Uh, Sam Houston State three times while FCS. SMU three times, Lamar twice, UTSA twice, pre-Jeff Trailer, uh, Prairie View A&M twice, Rice twice, UTEP, and ACU. They beat ACU yesterday after surrendering a pick six uh, in the initial drives. 
and Texas State. Why did they tweet that? <laughs> to get hound? I don't know. I don't know. So many A and M things are just like unforced errors. Like it's not anybody trying to go out of their way to make fun of A and M, but they like film and put on the internet their pep rally or whatever, or pound their chest about beating Abilene Christian. It's like you, you guys are asking for this. Put their spring game as a win to. Uh... Yeah. It's, like, it's almost like I mean, are y'all doing this on purpose? Are you trolling everybody by just like hoping we don't look up the seventeen in-state schools you've beaten or? Like, do you actually think college football fans are dumb enough to know that y'all haven't played Texas, TCU, Baylor, Tech, you know, any of that? Uh, so I believe it was Spencer from 23 Personnel that tweeted, Texas Tech was undefeated against non-conference in-state schools since 2012 as well. So there's that. Who beat us in 2012? I think it was just they said 2012, so oh. he said 2012. Oh, okay. I could have gone back further. Gotcha. Uh, to North Texas, whenever they beat you. Nine, uh, 97, Nine, 2000? Something like that. One of Spikes last year's. And then I think you beat like a top 10 A&M team the week after you lost to North Texas. Yeah. Uh, okay. One more thing I wanted to talk about before we get to basketball. It will fly through basketball, I'm sure. Uh, I will say this. Back-to-back uh, -back years with – a winning conference record sounds good, but if you look at how often that's actually been done in Texas Tech history, uh, it is incredible that he did it in his first two years. Um, talk about the Big 12, where they are right now, all you want to. But Leach did it once, twice, 08 and 09, and then maybe once once again. He had a bunch of four and four records. If you had another year, he or another game, he might have done it more. Um, and then I think Spike Dykes only did it twice in 10 years. So, and he didn't have any back to back to backs, and neither did Leach. And the uh, Southwest Conference, I think for the longest time, was also an eight game conference schedule because there were nine total teams, right? Yes. So you have an extra game to do it now, but. Wow. I mean, it is, it's not often that you do it and you've done it twice. That is really impressive. And he did it in eight games twice. He didn't need the final game to do it. Yeah, I tweeted this out earlier against Big 12 competition in November since Leach was let go, 11 and 32 until Joey McGuire got hired. That's, a, I think, 25.6% win rate. Joey is six and one in November. Joey. Uh, Joe Vember, 3-1 last year, 3-0 this year. Even if they lose to Texas, they'll be sitting right at 75%, and it's like it's still tripled the win percentage. Um, so, like, I know that the 1-3 start was incredibly frustrating, and I know we still talk about one of the BYU game back, the West Virginia, the Wyoming games back. But I would much rather uh, come out slowly and then peak in November, win in some conference games, than – Kind of do what Cliff did and like, okay, we have like the number four offense and we're three and oh after playing UTEP and we average 50 points a game. And then like, it's a lot of duds from there. And I think he'll, I think Joey will piece it all together eventually and come out hot and finish in November. Um, but that, that's been a very welcome change. And like, we can still, you can still, you know, pick it apart and find areas that need to be improved, but three straight bowl games 
potentially winning three in a row if you if you do uh, win this year's bowl game, whatever that winds up being. I think last time that was done 02 to 04 consecutively. So a lot of a lot of signs of real progress and not like these intangible signs of progress like, oh, the culture is changing. Like, no, you're beating your Big 12 peers more than you lose to them, which was never the case for like a full decade before Joey got here. This kills the the Matt Wells comments, right? Or is that still going to be I mean, around? no, because there's still dumb people who use the internet. Yeah. Really dumb people. No apologies. If you've if you've said that Joey and Matt Wells are the same, you're dumb. Uh, I'm you're, sorry. I'm not you're, sorry. You're, I'm not you're either, sorry. I'm dumb. You're either trolling or you're legitimately stupid. Yeah. Ignorant, I think, is the right word. Maybe you're not dumb. You're just ignorant. An igmo. An well, you have no excuse to be ignorant, though. There's like 50 yeah. Texas Tech podcasts and blogs, yeah. and yeah. like they're all mentioning this. So get your head out of the sand and okay. smell the roses. I think you mix some metaphors there. <laughs> Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Let him go. All right. Uh, basketball coming up. You can uh, find great basketball picks on Instagram. You can also find great fishing picks on Instagram. Recom Outdoors. RecomOutdoors.com. If you want to go fish in legendary Baffin Bay, you can do so. And I know it's all West Texas, but the coast of West Texas is open to you. Go find Captain Preston Long and do some fishing, some wade fishing. Get your toes down in the, the sand of Baffin Bay. You probably have boots on or whatever else. You're probably in waders, but if you want to go uh, bear calf, I'm sure you can wade into the water and do some fishing. Uh, get you all kinds of fish. Find out which fish at recommoutdoors.com. Find them online and on Instagram, recommoutdoors.com. Recommoutdoors on Instagram. Great picks, great fish, great people there at recommoutdoors. All right, money. It's your time to shine. Uh, is Arkansas washed? They'll be at uh, Atlantis. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you've got a really interesting field. I think they're kind of on that that bottom side, so you likely wouldn't match up with them until the later rounds. Um, but who knows? I mean, you don't have the NBA players that they've typically had on the roster the last couple of years, and so we'll see if the, the must-bust keeps chugging along. I just saw they lost to somebody and maybe kept one close, and I think it was – uh, the Field of 68 or one of those basketball podcasts that was saying, is it time to talk about Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. lost to yeah. UNC Greensboro. Oh, wow. That is a loss. Uh, all right, let's talk Villanova. They're the first matchup for Texas Tech, the guaranteed matchup. Uh, then I believe UNI and North Carolina? Correct. We, okay. So potentially North Carolina round two, you and I round two, and then Villanova round two, round one. Uh, what do those schools programs have to offer? Yeah, well, you start with Villanova. Um, familiar face on there, obviously, Brandon Housen, uh, former West Texas basketball player. He's been one of their best shooters this year. I think he's made nine threes already in the young season. So 
obviously a guy who, you know, you look at this year's roster and how the shooting performance has gone so far and it's, you know, kind of hurts you a little bit, but I mean, offensively, that's kind of where they've made their money so far. They, I think they're 21st in Kim Palm's offensive efficiency rating. They just kind of play smart basketball, which feels typical for Villanova. They make their free throws. They don't turn the ball over a lot. They shoot the three well enough. Um, but, I mean, this team already has a loss on their schedule. They lost to Penn um, in the non-con, who's like 190th in Ken Palm. That kind of feels like a trend in college basketball this year, you know, as the parity continues to grow with the portal and an IL, a lot more of these games are, you know, staying competitive. Um, and so I think that's one you got to look at. If you look at that loss to Penn, it was kind of a, a track meet. I think Villanova ended up losing 76 to 72. I don't know if tech has the offensive chops to put them in that kind of game. In fact, right now I would, say pretty confidently that I don't feel like they do, but there's, I don't know. It just feels like a very winnable game on paper with Villanova's offense is efficient, but they're beatable. Your defense has been spectacular. I really think it just comes down to with your first kind of extended practice that you have. Cause obviously, you know, after you played Texas M and M Corpus Christi on Thursday, you get six days off until your next game what what happens in those practices with the offense because obviously something has to change you've been very bad offensively and i i don't think three games is a big enough sample size for me to make any sweeping declarations like right now this team is i think 356 in the country in three point percentage there are 363 division one basketball teams so that's terrible that's really really bad um, and it's the kind of number that just makes you feel like there's positive regression due. And I do think there is. Um, I tweeted about it a little bit a few days ago. This offense is running a lot of four out, which if you're not familiar with basketball terminology, just count how many guys are outside the three-point line, how many guys are inside, with Warren Washington kind of being the one interior guy that will run up to the top of the key, set a screen, and their offense will run from there. I think that look has been really, really good for Tech. They've been generating a lot of space out of it. And I think the counterpoint to that has been, well, this team's not making shots. What's the point of generating this space if you're not making, you know, your three-point shots? And, and that's a valid point. You have to make threes if you want to, you know, continue to sustain offense. But you look at the two-point percentages from this team, like Joe Toussaint is 10 of 16 inside the line. Darion Williams, 8 of 11. Chance McMillan, 7 of 8. These guys are getting quality looks because of the space that's being generated on the perimeter. But when you're starting to play teams like a Villanova or potentially a North Carolina, you've just got to make some shots. And it doesn't feel like too much to ask for with the talent that's on this roster and the space that they've been consistently generating. And so I think there's positive regression due in terms of tech and their three-point shooting, but it's got to happen quick. You've got to try and put Villanova in a game kind of like you almost did to AM, where you just ran up and down the floor, you made your shots, you ran good half-court offense when you needed to, but really you lived and thrived in transition and just beating them down the floor. And Pop needs to score 30. <laughs> or at least that would help, yeah. Oh, we had a quick... Um, Oh, I was just going to say, we had a question on YouTube. Is this single elimination 
Uh, my understanding is you play three games no matter what, win or lose in any order. Yes. Correct. So you it it is a tournament you can win by winning all three games, but even if you lose the first one, you just go to the loser side of the bracket and then you kind of start over, win, you go this direction, lose, you go that direction. But we'll play three, uh, I think what should be like quad two or better games when it's all said and done since they're neutral site. I think if – I think pretty much every team included, maybe there's an exception that I'm missing, but uh, is it – is it top 100 in net at a neutral side? Is is that quad two? I think that's right. I don't know. And I've spent a lot of time the last two years looking at the quads, and I still don't know. So that speaks to the fact that they don't want you to know what a quad one, quad two win or loss is. But anyway, I think these are three games, whether you win or lose them, they will definitely enhance your – strength of schedule hopefully you win two out of three like in any order and uh, that'd be a pretty big feather in your cap kind of non-conference production we've not really had lately um how do you see the minutes going because like on one hand you're playing three games in quick succession so you want to keep guys fresh but also these are pretty important games for your ncaa tournament resume so you want to maximize your odds of winning uh do you think they they tighten up the minutes early or do you think we see a good mix of 10 11 12 guys yeah, it's interesting. I was digging into it a little bit before this episode and just kind of looking at how things have shaken out over three games. It, it's been a seven-man rotation. Like, it, it has been very, very tight. So, obviously, you have the starters like Pop, Joe Toussaint have both played over 90 minutes. Uh, McMillan, Warren Washington, Darion Williams have all played over 75. Devin Cambridge has played 70. Then Lamar Washington has played 64. And the next person behind him in terms of total minutes played is Robert Jennings, who's played 17 minutes. So you've got like a 45 minute drop off between your seventh man and your eighth man in the rotation right now. That's a whole basketball game. And it's been pretty noticeable to watch too, that it, it just kind of feels like the rotation is a lot tighter than I initially seemed to think it would be. And I think part of that was, I don't think Robert Jennings has gotten off to the start that he wanted to have this season. He has not looked great, to be quite frank, in the 17 minutes that he's played. Has not had good defensive possessions, has made some mistakes offensively. He He's really got to be better because there's not a lot of depth behind Warren Washington. And we kind of even saw that rear its ugly head um, the other night against Corpus Christi when he went down with a cramp and you know, you had to make some last minute shuffles. Eventually it was uh, EY who came into the game and played his minutes for him. But I really do think that's kind of the biggest talking point in terms of the rotation right now is, you know, where do you get quality front court minutes from if it's not from Warren Washington? Because right now, Emily Elahu is very young. He's a true freshman who I'm guessing is going to play a lot more than they would have liked this year. And then you've got Robert Jennings, who was kind of due for a breakout year, but just has not gotten off to a good start this year. I think that's kind of the catalyst of how this rotation will really play out. The good thing is, with Villanova, size is not really their strong suit. They're more oriented on the outside. They're a little bit of a smaller team. They've got like these good wing-type players, kind of like the Adonis Arms types that we've seen come through Tech. It's kind of how they're built. And so I think Tech may have something inside with Warren Washington. They've just got to keep him out of foul trouble. But 
I really do think it's it's going to be close in terms of like five, six, seven man in the rotation, like who ends up playing more out of Chance McMillan, uh, Lamar Washington, and, and then Devin Cambridge. Right now it looks like it's Cambridge because he can play that small ball five lineup that we saw some, and I really like that. I thought there was some good things going with that in the Corpus Christi game. I think we'll see it again in this Villanova game, especially if Washington has to go to the sideline due to injury or foul trouble or whatever it may be. Whatever happens, you get guaranteed two power six games, uh, potentially three power six games with Villanova, North Carolina, uh, who would be the second matchup, either them or you and I. And then finally, uh, one of Arkansas, Michigan, Stanford, or Memphis would be the final game and i guess memphis is technically not power six but close enough uh prop bet for y'all if i gave you a loss to villanova and then a win over northern iowa and a win over stanford to finish it you go two and one but you beat arguably the two weakest teams in the tournament you take that now or do you roll the dice maybe going one and two notching a bigger win or potentially two and one against or three and oh against better opponents I'd I'd rather go one and two against better opponents just to to see what this team has, but I would roll the dice on your scenario. Yes, I think, I think I'd I would... take a Villanova win. I think right now they're the highest team in Ken Palm and in the bracket, and so I think I'd take a win over Villanova, and then maybe a loss to like a North Carolina because uh, maybe UNC is higher than Villanova right now in Ken Palm. But a loss to UNC wouldn't really be the worst loss, and then you end up in a game that should be a toss-up. So I think I like a guaranteed win over Villanova and then kind of seeing what happens from there. Ready for a mailbag? Yes. It's the Matador Transit mailbag. Let's do it. Hey, hey. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? Jeff, some cow. Yeah, but I put it in the mailbag. Okay. Uh, for each Big 12 newcomer in 2024, which current Big 12 school is the closest competition or comparison? Sorry. Uh, Arizona. I was going to say Arizona State. Would be Arizona's closest comparison? No, it would be our closest comparison. I was going to do it the other way. So Arizona would be. Oh, to like each Big 12 school? Yeah. Uh, Kansas. Good basketball, bad football. Uh, Arizona State would be Texas Tech. Tech. Yeah. Utah. Should we just stick with BYU for funnies? I actually think like Kansas State. Kansas State. Like a football program punching way above its weight for a decade plus now. And then Colorado, uh, Iowa State, they don't have baseball. 
average football. Jeez. Basketball can do something every once in a while. I think it's Iowa State. Colorado's tough because they had a Natty and a Heisman in the 90s, but they've been bad at football for 15 years. Yeah. Did, have they ever done anything in basketball? Not that I know of. So, you know, they – I don't know. West Virginia, Iowa State, I, I don't know. That's a tough one. How many minutes a game should Lamar Washington get? At least 20. I'm in. Uh, how many Bahama Mamas will we need next week watching this tomb shoot the ball? What is a Bahama Mama? I thought that was the pickled sausage. Sounds more like a cocktail from the context of the question. Tropical smoothie with Captain Morgan. Orange juice, pineapple juice, dark rum, coconut rum, and lime juice. That is a drink right there. Wood. Wood. Uh, somebody answered 10. I don't think we need 10. I think something that sweet, probably uh, a good round three number. And then maybe switch to water or beer. Uh, how soon should McGass be offered an extension for bringing 3 0 against the AM University system? He should not be. That, that's how bad that AM football tweet was. It was like they tweeted that for serious. And we tweeted that, like, oh, we own the AM system because of like the AM Corpus Christi game and a scrimmage. 100% joke when we do it, but they're like, oh, yeah, this is – we need to pound our chest about this. Where will Texas Tech basketball be ranked in the next poll? Not. <laughs> you go 3-0 and this week, do they get ranked? You'd be 6-0 and with two Power 5 wins. Yeah, I don't know what UNC is ranked right now. I, I would guess they're, like, top – 20 maybe I think that would give you a good argument to getting in uh, should we focus on Villanova or Texas why not both yeah that's a good answer I think you you focus on Villanova till Wednesday and then you you have a day of thanks and then you focus on Texas for 24 hours I can multitask, though. Uh, j start, bench, cut these jazzes. Uh, the Lady Raiders, jazz shavers. The genre of music or the restaurant on 19th? I'll start Lady Raider. I'll bench the restaurant, cut the genre. The genre stinks. Sorry. Wow. No, no uh, trumpet love? No. Okay. There's some hot takes about Jazz the Restaurant floating around the other day. I saw that in the in the Discord and beyond. I don't think those takes were that hot. Jazz fell off? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying, did it have somewhere to fall off from? Whoa! I was a, a 
a, a very we went very often in college every week because you could smoke there. We we hadn't smoked our pipes because we were cool. Uh, and then pipe smoke got banned, so we smoked cigars, and then cigar smoke got banned, and we didn't go as much. I mean, jazz. The restaurant is like solid. Yeah. But but people talk about it like it's a bucket list. Like, oh, if you're going back to Lubbock for the first time in a decade, make sure you go to jazz. And it, it's not that, and it never has been. Wow. In my opinion, it never has been. But also, like, I like Cajun food, but it's also not at the top of my personal list in terms of food genres. Yeah. So that probably persuades me in a way that it might not persuade others. Would you trade Houston and Cincinnati for Washington State and Oregon State for the Big 12? Yeah. All sports, trading them right now? Yeah, I mean, Kelvin Sampson is good, but besides that, do you see anything from Houston that looks like Power 5 support? No. And that uh... – the empty stadium this weekend was pretty, pretty glaring. I mean, that is it wasn't empty. Yes, yeah, filled with the half, other team's yeah, colors. Half was full yeah. of horn. The TV, I mean, the TV look was empty. To me, that is what makes college football and college sports so much fun. Is is the passionate fan base attached to every school? It's like if you don't have that, I mean, it that's a huge red flag and. Say what you want about Oregon State and Washington State and like market size and athletic pedigree and all that. I think they've showed that they have fan bases that care and they can be good um, at football, at least, which is the only one that really matters. Like they've they've at least had very solid seasons in recent memory. And I like that fourth window. That means more Big 12 after dark. You are a big fan of the fourth window. Yeah. Uh, have Texas and the McRib been back at the same time? The same amount of times. Uh, probably the McRib has been back more, more often. I want to offer a clarification. I don't have any issue with Cincinnati, but Houston is such Houston. dead weight that if you were offering me a two for two, I'd have to do it just to get rid of Houston. But I, I don't have any beef with Cincinnati. Uh, sorry, I had to really focus on what this meant. Uh, would a two to zero football win be Iowa's Super Bowl? Would winning a game two to zero be Iowa's Super Bowl? Repeat the question. Would winning a game by a safety be Iowa's Super Bowl? Is that the pinnacle of football for Iowa? Winning a game two to zero. That seems like the best version of what they try to achieve as a team. That's something we've talked about is identity. And do you know what you're trying to achieve when you go out there? I think Iowa winning a football game 2-0 to zero is like the pinnacle of what they're trying to do. Just like Cliff winning a game 52-45 to 45 is kind of what he was trying to do. Like Ben don't break but outscore him. It's the opposite of that. Do we have anyone to take Taj-like bruiser touches next year? Maybe Anquan Willis. That dude, I think, is a tank. Looks I don't like think Valdez is a 25-carry per game. I think he gets 
he could be really productive though at 15 to 20. Um, but the way I see it, you're probably turning toward Valdez and somebody else splitting it pretty close to 50, 50, I would guess. Uh, what are the chances Linton returns next year? I have no idea. I, I think if he has eligibility, which I'm not totally clear on, um, just with COVID confusing so many things. Um, I mean, I don't think he'll transfer again. I don't think so unless he graduated. Would you rather be 6-1 and one in September or November? Uh, yeah, November. Looking at the Steve Linton roster page. He was at Syracuse for four seasons and then came to Texas Tech this year. So that's five full seasons. He has two seasons of eligibility, so he can he can come back. How does he have two seasons of eligibility left? Well, this year and next. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, Shuck is going somewhere else. He's going to keep playing, which I kind of thought would happen. Yeah, um, shout out to Shuck. We, uh, we heard that uh, two weeks ago. Is he going into year seven? Yeah, because he was here with Herbert in 19. And then, no, 18. 18 or 19? He was here in 19. And then played in 2020. That must be it. Redshirted 19, played in 2020, came here in 21, 22, 23. So that's five, six. I think he was here in 18. I think he was in Oregon in 18, 19, 20, and then has been here three years now. I'm looking it yeah. up real quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's six full seasons. Three in Oregon, three in tech, and one somewhere else. This says he got to Oregon in 2019. That was his freshman year. Okay. But he could, since he only played four this year and he only played four in 2021, I think he could apply for a medical red shirt, which is done at the end when you exhaust uh, what would otherwise be your eligibility. So he might have – I'm making this up. I could be wrong. He might have two medical red shirt years where he could – what's stupid is he played five games in 2019 at Oregon had they played him in four – well, is that rule in effect in 2019? The four-game redshirt rule? Uh, anyway, he could have had a traditional redshirt in 2019, but they played him in one too many games. But I think he has two that he could apply for a medical waiver that could get tacked on to the end of his eligibility here. He might have two more years left, which is insane. Yeah, he redshirted in 2018. He just didn't play. Okay. So he's a redshirt freshman 2019 then. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. So redshirt sophomore during COVID, it didn't count. Redshirt sophomore 21 at Tech. Redshirt junior last year. Redshirt senior this year. But the medical redshirts. But this is his COVID year. So he'd have to medical redshirt to go somewhere else, and I'm I'm assuming he's going to get it. The last player I, I remember playing seven seasons with medical red shirts was Alfredo Morales. 
Did Seth Collins get a seventh year? I think so. He just never played, and so that was always weird. He always got hurt before the season started. I'm going to look up Seth Collins real quick. He was like a starting quarterback at Oregon State, and then he comes here and yeah. is like a backup safety. He's a wide yeah. receiver. <laughs> Seth Collins played in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. It doesn't list 2019. Maybe he was out all year with an injury. Yes. And then he was on Texas Tech's roster and played 2020 and 2021. So Amazing. 2015 to 2021, that's seven college football seasons. Amazing. And he, he wasn't healthy for all of those, I don't think. Hardly yeah, he goes – and his position every year uh, from 2015 forward, quarterback, wide receiver, wide receiver, quarterback, wide receiver, DB. It's like, just put me in, coach. Put me in. I just and want I, to play ball. I never understood where he fit at safety, but that was the David Gibbs special. Shout out David Gibbs uh, with UCF. <laughs> I've forgotten that. Oh, and uh, are we giving Tyler Shuck his due here? You know, congratulations on your time at Texas Tech. We wish you well. Do we need to say anything else? Yeah, I think unless he goes in conference, I'll be happy to root for him. It's so big now, it's going to be hard to find somewhere outside of conference. That's what worries me. I don't know. I haven't followed the four newcomers as closely yet. I don't know what Arizona and Arizona State have at quarterback, but he's from – Arizona's a freshman uh, phenom kind of guy. Okay. It worries me because I think he's from, like, the Phoenix suburbs. And so it feels like, oh, I'll go finish out at Arizona State or whatever. That kind of worries me. Just because you don't want to play against a guy that you used to root for. Do you not? No, I mean not him. Like like Baker, yeah. I wanted to play against Alan Bowman this year. Well, yeah, but he's long time. That'd be nice. It's Thanksgiving. And Chuck is what? Better than Alan Bowman. I'll be nice too. I'll be nice too. Uh, With Jordan Travis breaking his leg, where do you expect to see Florida State ranked in the next CFP poll? I don't think it should drop him. Call me old school. If you win all your games, you should be there at the end. So I've seen this noise about like a one-loss team jumping them, even if they finish undefeated. I think that's stupid. They played LSU. They played Clemson. They'll play somebody good in the ACC title game. It's not their fault Florida stinks. So their schedule is good enough to get into a 14 playoff if they're undefeated. Uh, Does the AFL have some of the best mascots in sports? Shout out to the Arena Football League. I probably I it's not been around in a long time. I don't know if I can remember. Was it the Renegades, the Dallas Renegades? The Vegas What was was there a Vegas team, Los Angeles? I'd have to go look them up. Big Hen, we'll just trust you. Uh which is worse, Sark's sunglasses or Rodney Terry's glasses? <laughs> Mainville, you got some glasses thoughts? I just think it's amazing how much he looks like Gus Fring, like in the face. Yes. It It's impeccable. So I'm going to pick Sark's glasses being worse because I love the Gus Fring. Yeah. I just love it. He does look like Gus Fring. Uh, I was surprised you knew who Gus Fring was there, Kyle. Yeah, I've seen Breaking Bad. Okay. Uh, next question, is Tyler Shuck a Red Raider for life? School number three. It depends where he goes. 
McGuire's going to marry him. If you go to Vanderbilt, then sure. If you go to Houston, that's too bad. That seems like that was pointed out. I didn't mean that. If he goes to Baylor, then like, no, because we're going to have to play you next year. Yeah, I was fine with Donovan going to Houston. I don't care about guys going in conference. I was fine with Alan Bowman coming home to the conference. It's just you're one. I don't know. I think if you have a if you have a school in between, you can come back in conference. That's kind of like if you want to date your best friend's ex girlfriend, but like she dates somebody in between your best friend and you, then it's less off limits. Does it? Does it pain you that you thought Kevin McCullough was going to be a one-and-done guy at Kansas and now he's entering year three and has been really good this year? Is he entering year three at Kansas? Yeah, this is third year at Kansas. Is that real? No, I guess this is his second year at Kansas. Is this year two at Kansas or three? It has to be, yeah, because he played he played one year for Adams. Yeah. Okay, that drama just took way longer than I thought last year. So year two with Kansas. Yeah, he had more I'm leaving announcements than years at Kansas. Is this just Terry Shannon's second year at Illinois? Yeah. Man, last year took forever. Yeah, they were both on the Sweet 16 team. Yeah, last year feels like two years. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, I guess that's not as big of a deal. Uh, over under 15 years on when Texas will agree to a long-term scheduling arraignment with tech in football, baseball, or basketball over. Mainville shaking his head. Yes. To over way over. I might double it 30 years. Yeah. It's not happening. Uh, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? Um, I just started a podcast, the uh, 60-year anniversary of JFK and his assassination coming up. Obviously, that's like the number one kind of they, – they refer to it in this podcast as like the greatest murder mystery in American history. Yeah, I know there's like official reports on what happened, but I don't think anybody believes them. And uh, I, from like, I, it's yeah, a multi-part yeah. series, so I don't know exactly where they're going with it yet, but I think they're about to hypothesize that the – the CIA was pissed that Kennedy wasn't like gung ho about getting into a war with Cuba and Russia. And so they are the ones responsible. We'll see what kind of evidence they present, but uh, that's an interesting one to follow just because obviously the, the importance of the event itself, like, like the moon landing, if that wasn't real, like kind of like what difference does it make? But like everybody wants to know who killed the president and why, and why cover it up or why lie about it? So uh, that that one's, I think, obviously pretty fascinating for a lot of people. Yeah. No uh, UFOs or like uh, QAnon or liberal plant. <laughs> I don't know anything about QAnon. I the, the Democrats planted them. So I do think there is such a thing in the world of conspiracy sure. theories as what's called controlled opposition, where you make somebody look as dumb as possible by like, so like the flat earthers used to say this, like the flat earth society, the actual flat earthers think that the flat earth society is controlled opposition and that they're just making the flat earthers look really stupid to to delegitimize their arguments, which is why they're like that one post went really viral when the flat earth society said like, 
we have members all across the globe. Like that's a little bit heavy handed. Right. So I've I've wondered that about some politicians. I'm like, are they running as a Republican or Democrat just to help the other side win? Because like they're making one side or the other look so ridiculous. So I do wonder about that sometimes. I'm like, that person can't be serious, right? Like they're doing this as a bit for the benefit of the other side. Just trying to think of other conspiracy theories now. Princess Diana was murdered. Yeah, I haven't read much about that one. Um, Kurt Cobain. Murdered. Yeah, there's some about his suicide. Yeah. I like reading about these. I, I read on them all the time. I don't believe a lot of them. but uh, How long can you leave out your thin crust pizza at room temperature before it's unsafe to refrigerate and eat again later? Yeah, that's a good question. What do y'all think about that one? I I am food safety does not exist to me generally. I think uh, this, speaking of conspiracy theories, uh, for sale dates, Best Buy dates, all of that is just to make you buy more food. Um, and I, you know, people lived hundreds of years without refrigeration, and I guess there's more preservatives in food now, anyways. So. I would say you could you have a solid six, seven, eight hours before you need to refrigerate that bad boy. Money, what do you think? So I had some friends in college who I would I went over to their apartment one day, right? Just walk in the front door, everything's normal, saying my hellos. I look over in the kitchen and there's this bag on the counter. And so walk over to the bag, I'm like, what's in this bag? This is kind of weird. It's cooked bacon in a bag just like sitting on the counter my friends are like yeah we just leave it out so that we can grab a piece of bacon whenever we feel like it and it's just like right there and it's ready and those those guys never got sick they just ate it like it was begging strips for college kids which was awesome and so i'm uh i'm gonna take the over on whatever the time is on Thin crust pizza refrigeration needs. Yeah, it just helps your immune system, man. You get a little bacteria in there. So, like, hypothetically, if somebody left some pepperoni pizza hut on their counter for, like, approximately two hours. Oh, you're fine. I agree with you, Rob, on, like, sell-by dates. I, I feel like that's the, that's, like, the lawyer date where, like, we can 100% guarantee on this date it's still fine. But it's probably like anything. There's, like, you know, some tails on either end of the curve where it's like, you could probably eat it. Like you're 95% good a day later. You're probably still like 70% good several days later. So I, I, to me, if it passes the eye test and it passes the smell test, it's probably fine. Like you'll know if something is. If it's not hairy or slimy. Yeah. Doesn't bother me. Okay, cool. Well, whoever left their pizza out, I'm sure is relieved to get those answers and we'll probably have leftovers tomorrow. Um, will Texas Tech brag about beating ACU next year? <laughs> yeah, we could. If we lose to Texas, you just say like we've beaten all in-state non-SEC schools since whenever. Because you beat Baylor, TCU, Houston, and Tarleton this year, so you beat ACU, and then you work back to last year. I guess you lost your last game against a Texas team from last year, so you can't use that. But, yeah, we'll be at like a, what, five or six game win streak by then. and So you just, yeah, do it that way. 
Beautiful. All right. Uh, late in the fourth quarter, Josh Dobbs cooking. No, 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 no. I'm going to rewatch it later. Don't tell me. I didn't, I didn't tell you the score. You told me Dobbs is cooking, though. Well. But, hey, we knew that would happen, right? That's just a turn of phrase. I don't know that it really is true. That's all I got. Final thoughts? Super glad we're bowl eligible. Feels like you really pulled a rabbit out of a hat and salvaged what would have otherwise been a really, 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 really disappointing season given some of the expectations coming in. Started one and three. Started three and five, I think. And so to do this um, by securing a winning record in conference play two years in a row, hat tip to everybody in the building who made that happen. And we talked about it in the UCF preview, like you win that one and then you kind of have nothing to lose against Texas um, in terms of like your final standings or whatever. Like you're not going to the Big 12 championship game, but you can't be eliminated from bowl eligibility either. So we'll see what they have. I uh, wish Texas maybe could have waited one more year to figure it out um, so that you wouldn't be a 14-point dog going in. But who knows what can happen. Um they're obviously pretty tilted, so maybe they're maybe they're so hyped up for this you get a lesser version than you know optimum Texas. I guess we'll see. And congratulations to Steve Sarkeesian. Won ten games for the first time in his career by beating Iowa State. It's tough to win ten games at programs like Texas, USC, and Washington, but he did it. So props to Coach Sark. I'm sure many more to come in the SEC. And many more, baby. All right. See you guys Sunday. We will be tweeting through it on Wednesday night and Friday night and whatever other Battle for Atlantis games are on. I guess that's uh, – is that a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday thing? I think so. Maybe Wednesday, Friday. I don't know if they play Thanksgiving Day. Have to double Friday, yeah. Whatever it is, we'll be there for it. And we'll see you again on Sunday. I guess we'll have one more Gauchos after dark on Saturday night. Uh yeah, probably two more. I think we did a, a bowl selection special edition last year when the bowl games came out. So yeah, two more gauchos after darks. And uh yeah, then we're going bowling. One final question. Do you have a preference on the bowl that you want to go to? In a vacuum, I would kind of like to go to Shreveport and play in whatever bowl game that is against, I think, a Pac-12 team. Pac-12 team, yes. But it's so early in bowl season. It's December 16th. Um, so, I don't know. I think maybe guaranteed rate in Phoenix would be fun. That used to be the Cactus Bowl. It was the Insight Bowl in 2006 when you had the record comeback against Minnesota. Uh, I think your four biggest options right now are Shreveport, Phoenix, Fort Worth and Dallas. And so I think all of those are pretty manageable destinations for where your large alumni bases are located. I don't think they'll send you to Memphis or Houston again because you played there the last two years. It, it could happen. It, it's happened before. I don't think Memphis is a – oh, it is still. One of those bowls got flipped outside of the Big 12. Yeah. And it's just hard to say. There's such a log jam of what will be three lost teams. Um like, I don't think you'll be high enough to go to the Pop-Tarts Bowl in Orlando. Like I said, I don't think they'll send you back to the Liberty Bowl or Texas Bowl so quickly. So Oklahoma was 6-6. Six and six. 
Yeah, but they had the right logo on their helmet, so. I'm just saying. Um. So, yeah, I'm thinking Guaranteed Rate Bowl in Phoenix, Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth, First Responders Bowl in Dallas, or is it the Independence Bowl? What's the one in Shreveport? Uh, the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Okay, yeah. I think it'll be one of those four when it's all said and done. The Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl is my don't want to be at bowl. I'll say this. If you if you do play one of the games with a Pac-12 tie-in, I hope that it's not against one of the ones that's about to join the conference anyway because you're going to get to play them two or three times in the next four years. I hope it's like a UCLA or Oregon State, Washington State, somebody like that that you don't normally get to play. Um, one of the bowls, I think the first responder bowl in Dallas – has like three different conferences that could tie in. It's either Conference USA, American, or ACC. Um, I do think a Joey versus Trailer game would be fun, like locally in the state of Texas. I also think they would probably beat you, so I kind of don't want to lose to UTSA. Trailer won't be there. That's true. Yeah, you'll get the interim. Um, but yeah, I would like to play an ACC team if you do play in Dallas. Just, you know, it feels a lot more meaningful playing a Power 5 team. My dream is Nebraska in Phoenix. That'd be fun. But Nebraska has to beat Iowa this weekend. Can they score six points? We'll see. Only one way to find out. All right, that's all I got. All right, love y'all.